Hello and welcome to another edition of Balls and Whistles Highland News and Media Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Henderson as always and I'm joined by sports editor Will Clark. Will, how are you doing? I'm all right, Hendo. What a week for sport, eh? It's been a busy one, hasn't it? But just before we get into all that, no fanfare from me this week. What's going on? Unfortunately, I used up the annual budget on that one week alone. They were a really expensive band. We only got five seconds out of them as well, but uh, I maintain it was worth every penny. I enjoyed it. I think the audience enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Well, that explains a lot of that's our entire budget, to be fair, but might not be any fanfare for you or for me this week, but there should be a bit of fanfare over some good news that we got in football, finally, a long time coming, that the lower leagues, the SWPL1 and the Scottish Cup is coming back. I didn't see the Scottish Cup coming back at all. I don't know about you. It's still got to be played. <laughs> the second round's not due until March the 23rd. A lot can happen in between then. And there's the question of if clubs can actually play in the competition because testing will be a prerequisite for it. Yeah, it's all changed from the, the preliminary rounds and the first round. A couple of new uh, guidelines being brought into place, like, as you say, testing being the main one, really, where do we think this is going to fall? I know you've talked to Don Matheson, the Nairn County chairman, in the past about the cost of it. Can you see many teams paying that? Or is it just going to be one of those things, it's a cup run, everybody wants to be part of it, they'll find a way to do it somehow? Well, Don Matheson basically said, that regarding testing, that they would be prepared to pay for it in the Scottish Cup. He estimates it will cost his team around about £1,200 a game. And it might be viable for the Scottish Cup but in terms of the Highland League, when you've got 13, 14, sometimes in Strathspey Fissel's case, a whole season to play still, is it going to be financially viable? A lot of clubs are saying no. Uh, Nairn County have previously said it, and I spoke to Bruna Rangers chairman, William Powery. He says it's not viable either for the Highland League. Clubs might be prepared to pay for it for the Scottish Cup as a one-off or even if they reach the third round or possibly the fourth round. But I don't know. I, I, I can see some high league teams deciding, you know what, it's not worth it. One game and then that's our season because they don't know when the high league is going to come back. It, it's going to be interesting to see in the next week or two what decision uh, Highland League clubs actually make. It's an interesting one looking at the draw because you mentioned Brewer there. They've got hearts at home. Nairn County, I've got Montrose at home. You know, there's some big games for these clubs, but without fans being able to get into the ground, it might not be the same sort of money spinner that it normally is. Uh, and like you say, if we still don't know what's happening with the Highland League, if or when that comes back. So, you know, will clubs be as willing to do it for potentially one game? I mean, there's a lot of hassle outside of football even. You know, I, I was talking to... Nairn County manager Ronnie Sharp earlier on this week and I'll play a little clip of him in a minute what he said but he was making the point that you know these players part-time players have got day jobs to think about that this is going to really have a big impact on uh, so talk to Ronnie earlier on let's hear what he had to say about it. First of all we've got to speak to the players and the committee um, and everybody and find out what the, the scenarios are first whether we compete in it or not I don't know you know what I mean so I don't know the cost of the testing yet either, so how's the testing going to be done, you know what I mean? We don't, we'll have to look into that. So we've got to look into all these things just to see if everyone's viable to do. 
to be honest, it, it, this will depend on how the Highland League goes. You know what I mean? Um, it, you could be just training for two weeks and playing one game, and then it's all stopped again. Is it worth doing? I don't know. You know what I mean? Is what's the the risks going to be? You know what I mean? So it would probably be a lot easier to convince people about playing the Scottish Cup if the Highland League was coming back. If that's not going to come back. I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know how people are with work situations. Just coming back for one game, do the employers, you know what I mean? How the boys' employers are going to feel about it. I don't know, you know what I mean? As I said, I've got, we have to think about this, see what happens. It's one of these. I was a little bit surprised when I got hold of Ronnie that he wasn't more positive about the idea of football coming back. But there's all these other things to think about that I hadn't really considered until talking to him. Even... If players get injured, you know, we saw back at the start of the season with the Premiership and the Championship, just how many players picked up muscle issues. Coming back, training for two weeks, which isn't a long time to play one game. There's a lot of risk in that involved that clubs and players might not be willing to take that chance. And as things stands, we're probably not looking at any Highland League football until April the 26th when the national lockdown is lifted because all non-league football in Scotland the suspensions hasn't been lifted. And that's the thing. Are players going to be willing to play off a one-off spectacle? There's still seven Highland League teams playing in the Scottish Cup. But they're not going to be money spinners. They're going to be losses because of the cost that's required for testing. And every club that wants to play in the second round of the third round will have to pay for testing before they can kick a ball. I mean, I'm, I'll speak about my hometown team, Huntley. They've still got to go to Dumbarton and beat them, which I'm sure they will. But in the third round, they've got the chance of playing Aberdeen at Christie Park. We would be looking at thousands of people and they're making tens of thousands of pounds at that game. But crowds aren't going to be let in. So is it going to be worth it for Highland League clubs? I think as a spectacle, playing against teams from higher opposition, especially... Brewer Rangers, who've got hearts coming up, even though Brewer Rangers have excelled in recent years, they've had the experience of playing the likes of Kilmarnock in the Scottish Cup. They played Hibernian in Dundee in the Challenge Cup. It'll still be a fantastic occasion for them, but clubs are going to have to decide, can we take the hit? Can we afford to take the hit? And the clubs I've spoken to, while not saying no, there does seem to be a bit of reluctance with a lot of them. Yeah, Ronnie there was, was he didn't exactly sound eager to get back, did he? There's there's so much to think about. There's so much that even the clubs still haven't known. Even when the announcement was made, it wasn't exactly clear how everything would work. Uh, I don't think there's a wrong response to this, to be honest. If teams pull out because they don't feel like it's doable for them or it's not financially viable, fair enough. I can't blame them for that. If teams want to compete and they want to test themselves against whoever they've been drawn against, great (laughs) you know I don't think there's a wrong answer here really it's just up to each club and the players as well and each of their individual circumstances and we shouldn't forget that right at the start of the competition the SFA did set out a stipulation that if a club wanted to pull out at a certain stage they would receive no financial penalty and they would still get the money from that round that they've reached so that might be a factor in some clubs deciding what they're going to do it's a shame because it's not often seven Highland League clubs get this far in the competition. And some of the games coming up 
to test themselves against higher league opposition. Um, even Keith, you know, taking on uh, Clyde League One, that'll be a fantastic occasion for them, as well as New York County facing Montrose. But clubs have a decision to make. And like you said, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. It's just going to come down to whether they can afford it or not. Well, we heard Roy Sharp there saying that a decision for clubs might be slightly easier if we knew what was happening with the Highland League. That was one of the biggest drawbacks uh, of the announcement this week. There still isn't any clarity on that. Well, you mentioned earlier you were talking to Brora chairman William Powery about this. Uh, we can hear a little bit of what he had to say in his conversation with you right now. This is all about leadership and direction, isn't it? Um, and, um, you know, the Highland League find themselves in a, the unenviable position of having started and not knowing whether or not we're going to be in a position to finish with, uh, with every day and every week that goes by, you know, time running out to be able to do so. Um, so yeah, really, cha- really challenging for the for, for the league management committee, and very uncertain un- time from everybody. You know, it, it, it's just a, you know, it's just a calendar, isn't it? Uh, you know, unless you're going to be playing football in uh, June and July, uh, things are going to have to get going if they're going to get going. You know, PDQ because uh, what are we now? First week in March. You know, you couldn't conceivably start playing again before the sort of third, fourth week, I would think. Then that just leaves you April and May, and uh, Strasbourg haven't kicked a ball in the league yet. So that's going to be, you know, challenging. And I think that I think most, yeah, some clubs have played three games, but I don't think anybody's played any more than that. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a strange, uh, unenviable position that everybody finds themselves in. It's just time, isn't it? That's that's the big question right now. Is there going to be enough time to get a full season in? We've obviously talked about it a lot over the last few weeks. It, it's probably possible, but every day that goes by with that announcement is going to get tougher and tougher to do. And the, with League One and League Two restarting, the, the, they're speaking about reducing the amount of games to 18, I think it is. Park Thistle um, released a statement this afternoon saying that they would like to see the number of games uh, increase to 22 after routine split in the league. That's not just Partick, that's a League One and League Two wide statement. All the clubs are in agreement that they want it to be a 22-game season. But one of the knock-on effects of that could mean the season actually gets extended an extra couple of weeks, which could then have a knock-on effect on the Highland League and the sort of time frame they have to complete it if we're still going to have a playoff, basically. So all of this is connected. <laughs> the big thing is, I would hate to see the Highland League being denied a chance of a playoff again. It was such a, pardon my expression here, a kick in the pants to Brora Rangers last season. They won 24 out of 26 games. Everybody agreed in the Highland League last season that they were the best team by a mile. And then there was a whole talk of league reconstruction. So much effort went into it. I know the SHFL Secretary Rod Houston was a, played a big part in it. And the SPFL practically just told them to go away. So what does this do for the integrity of the whole pyramid system now? And will it be scrapped? I don't think so. But I think if they don't hold the playoffs between the Highland League, Lowland League and League Two, I think it's just saying to them that they just don't care about non-league football and giving other clubs in lower leagues, in other parts of the country, a chance to progress. And that's just really sad if that happens again. When league reconstruction was basically an afterthought, which is what I think their attitude was to it, 
Um, I just thought it was a massive smack in the face to non-league football. I thought it was a really selfish decision. Um, I thought it was also a really selfish decision to relegate teams and not promote teams within the top four divisions. I, I, it left me sick in the stomach a wee bit, to be honest. I just really hope whoever wins the Highland League and whoever wins the Lowland League just gets the chance to progress if that's what they want. It's one of those things, isn't it? We've talked about it a lot over the last few weeks. You know, there wouldn't be the same sort of arguments this season. If the Highland League was cancelled now, at the, somebody not getting a chance at that promotion playoff spot because they're only a couple of games in, maybe more so with the Lowland League than the Highland League if, if that was to happen. But you know, what can they do? League One, League Two are talking about reducing the number of games they have left to play. The Highland League can't do that. They're already down to one round of fixtures. So if we're looking at April, May, probably the end of May as the absolute deadline to get the league in, it's still going to be tricky for them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a no-win situation for anyone right now because either players and clubs are going to have to probably pay for testing and play twice a week, which is going to involve a lot of midweek away travel that you know a lot of players just won't be able to do with their jobs. Or the season gets null and voided and nobody gets a chance at going up. It's just not a great situation all around. <laughs> the one thing I'm certain of is League Two will not accommodate for the Highland League or Lowland League. So it's the Highland League have to make a decision. Are we going to restart the, the season soon and ask teams to play um, while paying for testing costs? Or are we just going to null and void? Because I can't see the League Two and the Highland League, Lowland League running in conjunction to allow the playoffs to happen. So the Highland League have to make a decision. And what I've heard from the clubs, they're not keen to pay for testing costs. It leads me to only one conclusion of what's going to happen to this season. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't in the clip there, but you did speak to uh, William Pirey about testing as well, didn't you? The, he wasn't particularly keen on the idea either, purely from a financial point of view, understandably. He quoted £120 a player if they were forced to do that. And he said, not just Baroda, not just Nairn County, all clubs in the Highland League. It's a lot of money to spend on one thing. And he made, also made the point, if the Highland League does start and Five, six games in, half the league is out of contention to win the title. The words he used was dead rubbers. Are they going to be bullard? Yeah, I love the Highland League. I just think null and void is going to be the final conclusion. I take my hat off to everyone that's trying to keep it going, especially Rod Houston. I think he's done a fantastic job. But I just think it's banging heads against brick walls now. Well, the thing is, though, you're not alone because some somebody else who feels like they've been buying their head off of brick walls are Callie Thistle Woman, who haven't played a game since November 1st. <laughs> We're talk I mean, the Highland League wasn't even back at that point <laughs> for the limited games they'd played. Um, there, again, is no word on when the Championship North and South are going to be back. It's just the, the very top tier of women's football, the Scottish Women's Premier League 1, not even SWPL 2 is back, so never mind the Championship. Uh, and that is also, as we have discussed, with the prerequisite of testing. I was talking to Cali Thistle Women's Manager Karen Mason earlier on this week, who said that for them at least, testing just isn't an option whatsoever. 
The explanation behind it all is obviously it's a it's a phased return, just to kind of guess like the the schools, you know, that they're going a little bit back at a time, not going full gun ho. Um, you can kind of understand, uh, understand where that's coming from, and um, the, obviously the SWPL one and the women's getting back is great. Um, although it's it's coming at a massive cost in terms of having to commit to testing and everything, so you can kind of understand why they're obviously doing it in a phased return. And yeah, albeit it's frustrating for us. Um, to still not see any action but I think it's probably the most sensible um, approach that they're going for um, at the end of the day. With testing being required now for these leagues going back, I mean is that practical for a team like Cali Thistlewoman? I mean, we had a championship meeting and they were kind of um, updating from the government and the, the SFA, etc. And I mean, the cost for the SWPL1 to test just before matches over, I think, is it like a nine-week period? is like £117,000, um, which obviously take away funding. I think each team were, were potentially having to look for a shortfall of like £8,000. So for us, that's just... No, we wouldn't even wouldn't even look at that. Um, to be honest with you, so in a sense that maybe it's just before normality resumes that testing then won't have to be a thing by the time we get back. Then, um, yeah, that's kind of the only way that, that I can see it panning out for us. Um, but yeah, it's nothing. That's not ever going to be feasible for us at this at this rate. It's not often I leave a question in when we're doing those sorts of clips, but I just love Karen's reaction so much. She was basically laughing at me for suggesting it might be possible for Cali Thistlewood to test because it's just so far out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I, I felt like I needed to keep that in. <laughs> you, you'll guess WPL1. How many professional clubs um, are in that division? Two. Rangers and Celtic, is that right? Yeah. And there's others who have decent amount of facilities and, you know, but they're not full time. They're not professional clubs in in the same way Celtic and Rangers are. Well, I'm looking at the the SWPL1. I'm looking at teams like Forfar, Farmington and Spartans. Can they realistically afford the the testing costs? They'll be part time teams as well. Um, I know that there's teams like Hibs who have done quite well in the women's game in recent years and Mullerwell and Hearts. Glasgow City, who are clubs that probably have big financial backing, or not big financial backing, but relatively big. Yeah, they they could possibly afford it. But in terms of the the other women's competitions, it's the same in the Highland League. Is it worth null and voiding? And because I know that after the first wave, they kind of rearranged their seasons to be played during the winter. So it just might be makes sense for the women's game to start a summer season again and that might be beneficial for them in the long term because they're not competing with men's competitions where they don't have the same fan support you know it's basically just advertising and sponsorship which they get their money from but to have their own platform when there's less competition might be good for the women's game so if I was in the Scottish women's football group I would be looking at that Null and void the winter season. Don't even make the top flight clubs test. You know, bring the season back to the summer because the, the women's game definitely strengthened when it was a summer season. I think it probably would have taken a step back playing during the winter. So, null and void what's happened just now. Cali Thistle, how many games did they play? Was it two before? Uh, two or three. I think maybe a cup game in there as well. I would have to double check that. Well, they might not even have to null and void it. Just continue the season through the summer, make it a 2021 season and, and just have your own platform again. And 
just carry on the good work that was being done before the pandemic. You talk about competition. It's competition for facilities just as much as it is for attention. You know, competing, especially around about Inverness for the likes of Cali Thistle, there are so many amateur and junior football teams and Highland League teams and Cali Thistle and Ross County who are all using the same you know, group of facilities that it becomes much tougher for them to get pitches to train on and to play their games on. Um, I will say, I don't think SWF ever planned to move to winter football. I think the idea was always like to stay summer football. It was out of necessity with the pandemic. So I'm sure once everything clears up, they will revert back to that when possible. Uh, again, I don't often do this, but I'm hoping to have an update from Karen Mason next week. So we'll talk about that on the show next week, I would assume, uh, about what next season might actually look like, because there's been a few discussions about a change in structure in SWF again. Uh, it's the changed quite a few things over the last couple of years so we'll have a bit more detail on that next week I hope but for the time being it's just a frustrating time for them as well not being able to train not being able to play and they've not been able to train and play for much longer than most of the men's teams so it's just another one of those things hurry up with the jobs <laughs> I can't wait to get my job and get everyone jobs are you saying jab or jag job jag is the same thing <laughs> I don't know if that poll is still open on the Inverness Courier website, but if it is, go and vote on that and let us know what you think. For the time being, let's move on from the lower leagues then and go to Ross County, who have a massive game coming up tomorrow against Kilmarnock in Dingwall. I mean, this is their biggest game of the season. I don't feel like I've had this sort of anticipation and build-up to a game probably since maybe Celtic in the Cup. Yeah, probably. Uh, when in their four point, points clear of Kilmarnock, um, regardless, well, in, unless Hamilton do something, but they'll definitely be four points in, in front of Kilmarnock. Disappointed defeat last weekend at St. Mirren because I saw the highlights and they did create chances. It wasn't like the, the first half of the season where they were well beaten. They did seem to have some idea in the final third to uh, create chances. I, I think it was it. Uh, Jordan White's header and that was followed up by Stephen Kelly hitting the crossbar it just seemed to be one of those weekends for Ross County where you know they, they did all the hard work it just the ball didn't go into the back of the net Yeah it pretty much was uh, I found it quite funny in a way that we were discussing on last week's episode of Balls and Whistles whether they should stick with the formula that beat Celtic or change things up for a different style of game against St Mirren they basically did go with the same shape and mostly the same personality they did against Celtic. And in the first half, they did not look like scoring whatsoever. It, it was not a good performance from them. John Hughes made three changes at halftime, totally changed the shape from a 4-4-1-1 to a 3-5-2. And like you say, Jordan White had a great header that was saved onto the bar, I think, which was followed up by Kelly's strike that hit the bar. And then Alex Yakoviti just after had, uh, I think it was a volley from a corner cleared off the line as well. How they lost that game, I don't know. And I don't think they will know. But they just have to be able to put that behind them, especially the way they lost, the manner they lost, that penalty decision. I mean, I said at the time it looked soft. You had a bit of fun with that on Twitter, but seeing it later, I think you'd agree with me that, if anything, I was underplaying it, really. No, you are. Uh, I, I was following your tweets in the game, and I thought, wow. That was quite a bit of an extreme reaction, perhaps. But then I saw the highlights on uh, TV on Saturday night, and I thought, wow, I really felt for Leo Hielde. Apologies to my Norwegian friends for my pronunciation there. It's wrong. 
But didn't even touch him, did he? He didn't even go for him. No. The referee bought it. And uh, maybe in that incident alone, it's worth bringing VAR into Scotland. I mean, we've talked about it in the press conferences this week. Um, we asked the question to John Hughes and to Jason Naismith. Hughes, I think, was advocating more for referees to go full-time because I think we often forget we still have part-time referees and they will get better at their craft and they will make the right decisions more often if they're able to just train all week and do the matches at the weekend. Jason Naismith was really quite against VAR, to be honest. He said he's not a fan of it watching it in England. He's got friends that play in the English Premier League and none of them are particularly big fans of it either. What do you make of VAR? Would you, would you have it? I mean, I feel like we've talked about this off air before and you haven't been a particularly big supporter of it. Am I misremembering that? <laughs> um, well, the, how often is VAR wrong, though? The, the, yeah. the, it's, it, it, it's the rules that I don't like, um, especially with the offside situation. I think it should always be judged on the feet. It really wrangles with me when I see a player given offside because his head's in front of the last defender, because his arm is in front of the last defender, because his finger is in front of the last defender. Whatever body part is in front of the defender is counted offside. We'll leave that there. But it should always be judged on the feet. You know, that where you stand, as far as I'm concerned, that should be the only reason you should be given offside. Before that, I always think that's what the linesman always judged it on. That's what VR should judge offside on. It just, you know, I spill my tea every time I see another body part being given offside to it. Um, but like I said, how often is VAR actually wrong? You know, people might not like it, but it's supposed to be 100% correct. It's supposed to be 100% correct. I probably, yeah. probably give it 99% correct. Because at the end of the day, it's still the referee's final decision, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I was a little surprised at how positive you were about it there because I was fully anticipating having to say I'm one of the few that will defend VAR. <laughs> I'm not against VAR, but it's the way it's used. It's the way it interprets the rules that gets to me. I'm all for fair play. I'm all for following the rules. But there has to be specific guidelines. The offside one just really wrangles with me. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's more often than not when people complain about VAR, it's VAR's implementation of the rule, not the process itself, not the technology itself. And the rules just haven't kept up with the technology that's available to us. And that's more the issue. And I think when it comes to like a handball, that's changed so much over the last few years anyway. I'm not entirely sure most people know what it is. So to then go and criticise VAR for making a decision on that, I'm not sure. I think you have to give them a little bit of leeway or at least assume they know better than you do as a fan, personally. In terms of handball, VAR has the technology to know how far the ball has been struck from a certain distance to hit a player's hand. That's what handball should be judged on. Um, if you're right close to the defender and it hits him, I don't think that's a handball, but if, say there's like five yards space, something like that, and there's time for the defender or the other player to remove their hand away. That's what handball should be judged on. So I'm not against VAR, but just improve the rules. The thing I always come back to is why can other sports use this sort of technology and football can't? I mean, you see it in rugby all the time. The TMOs 
are such a, a normal part of the game that nobody bats an eyelid at. You see Hawkeye with tennis, which I guess is more like goal line technology, to be fair, and there aren't many complaints about that. You see a decision review system in cricket. And, you know, in cricket, they try to go with the on-field umpire as often as possible. And that means there's a margin of error, basically, when it comes to LBWs, that if not enough of the ball is hitting not enough of the wicket or there's a reasonable cause for doubt, it just sticks with the on-field decision. And I wouldn't be against that for offside. You know, if, if you said if it's within 10 centimetres, you go with whatever the on-field decision was, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. The problem is that whatever distance you pick is an arbitrary choice. And there's always going to be a complaint if you pick 10 centimetres and it's 11 centimetres. You could also go American football uses it as well with coaches being able to review decisions. There's, there's so many other sports that use this. It's just, you know, it, it's just the way we're going. Why can't football do it? If anything, it's added to the spectacle of rugby union. It's, it's really worked well for that. It adds to the drama and suspense of the game. Uh, Hawkeye, like you said, for tennis, you can't imagine it without it. Even full players are only given certain challenges to use up. And if they get it wrong, the challenges are taken away. Yeah. And it should work for football, but there just seems to be a lot of resentment towards it. And it, maybe not the technology, it's just maybe the interpretation of the rules as we go back to. So it might be just a case of changing the guidelines. And maybe in football, you, you, in the stadiums, you don't actually get to see um, the review process. Yeah, communication uh, is a huge issue with VAR. Yeah, whereas you do in rugby union, uh, well, in, in the internationals anyway, you know, when um, it goes to the TMO, uh, the actual replays are actually put on the big screen so the fans can actually watch that. So maybe there needs to be more interaction. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. It, it's the same in cricket. You maybe don't hear the, all of the conversations, but you see it happening on the screen and you can kind of work out what's being said and what's being judged. And, you know, one of the, the big arguments against VAR is that it slows down the game. You know, people don't know whether to celebrate goals, whatever. I'm sorry, I don't buy that. Maybe it's different when you're actually playing the game, but from a fan's perspective, if you score, celebrate. If there's then a check and it gets given, celebrate again. It's double the celebration. If it gets overturned, get on with the game. There's a reason for it. You know, I don't know if that's a culture thing, maybe more for football, that there's outrage when there isn't in other sports. But I don't know. I'm Again, I'm probably in the minority for that, but I don't buy that as an argument against getting the right decision, especially when, as we saw last weekend with County, you know, if that was the last game of the season and they got relegated because of that, people would lose jobs because of a bad refereeing call. That is not worth the risk of some fans being slightly upset that a goal was rightly overturned, surely. If it gets the right decision in the end, it's pretty hard to argue against. Going back to Leo Hjelde, apologies again to the Norwegians. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it cost his team three points. It, you know, at least it would have been an extra point away from the bottom. Um, and he, it, it would have hurt him. It sounded like it hurt him that full time anyway. For a 17-year-old kid, it, it must have been hard to take. I'll get down off my soapbox for VAR now. And let's, let's talk about Killy because it's it's a huge game for them. They could go, as we said, four points clear at the top. Jason Naismith did not shy away from the importance of this game at all. 
think it's time to realise that the importance of these games and um, the amount we need to dig in and, and draft to, to nearly win the games. You know, you know, you look at the winning of the game and divine right. It doesn't matter if you beat Celtic one, mate. It doesn't give you the right to just turn up and, and pace them. You're going to get three points against the Nuns. So, you know, the quicker we realise that, the better. Um, you know, as you say, every game big. And, you know, we've got two home games that are very winnable. And we've also got a game against St John's away, which we'll fancy our chances in as well before the split. So, we just try, we need to try and uh, take maximum points for every game. And, see what it takes his league on the split. That would be massive. It'd be a real hammer blow to the able to So, listen, every game's massive. We just need to take one game at a time. But as you said, we play Kelly on Saturday. We're quite the bottom with a game in hand. So, you know, if we win on Saturday, that's four points game in hand. That's got to be a real motivation within our change room. Um, you know, as I said, the level of the boys are aware of how big a game it is, and I'm sure they will be. Let me just draw a comparison with around about a year ago, because County were, I think, ninth or 10th this time last year. They had a similar run of games to finish the season, a couple of games before the split against teams in and around them in the bottom half, and then the post-split games. The difference is, last year, they were in freefall. While I had faith that they would find their way out of the relegation battle and stay up, this year, they actually look like winning more games. So they've got to be more confident. And Jason Smith there is right. Three games before the split, they have to be going out there and targeting nine points from this, which would go a huge way to keeping them up. And he's been there with Ross County before. Uh, two years ago, I, I remember the final day of the season. Um, he was part of the team that drew 1-1 at St. Johnston. Um, the result was academic in the end because I think Park Fissile uh, won their game. But they're a better team to what they were in the first half of the campaign and that's a lot of credit to John Hughes Kilmarnock will be a tough match uh, I saw the highlights against Dungeon United I thought they played really well very unlucky not to win the game in the end had a goal disallowed but yeah it, it, it's, a, it's a box office match to have that daylight against one team that's below you is vital at this stage of the season because after this it's only seven games left yeah it's the final straight it's crunch time it's do or die. Hughes said, I think a couple of months ago, every game from now until the end of the season is a cup final. But now you're really feeling that anticipation going to kick off a Saturday afternoon that they need to win every game pretty much to give themselves a, as good a chance as possible. People are now looking at Motherwell and thinking they're safe. Whereas last week I said, you know, if they keep playing the way they were against Hamilton and St. Johnson as well, um, I could easily see them finishing bottom. But they turned it around and uh, kudos to them. But that's just what one win can do to change the entire perception of how a team can perform. And if they beat Kilmarnock, it, it is daylight between them. They can't afford to drop many points. But if they do, it means that you know Kilmarnock won't overtake them. So it's a bit of a psychological edge. But first things first, go and win in Dingwall and... Uh, create that gap with Kilmarnock, you know, have the advantage. The last thing you want to do with six or seven games left is playing catch-up. Yeah, I mean, I'll caveat this by saying after the split, everything can change very quickly with all the bottom half teams playing each other, but County's fate is in their own hands and that's all they can ask for. That, that certainly they would have taken that at the end of December when Stuart Cattlewell left the club. Oh, absolutely. I, I would be delighted if I was a Ross County fan being 10th just now. Somebody whose fate, I'm not sure, I don't, well, it's kind of in their own hands because they're still so far in the season to go. Callie Thistle, 
they do still have games in hand. They can still make the playoffs, but it's been a, a really disappointing week for them. I mean, that on Tuesday against Dundee was was a big missed opportunity, wasn't it? Yep, and uh, they deserve to get beat. Unfortunately, the first half wasn't fantastic. Um, Dundee deserved to be 2-0 up. And uh, Dundee, not a great team themselves. You know what I think about Dundee this year. But, you know, fair play to them. They got the better of Cali Fissel in the first half and perhaps took their, their feet off the throttle in the second period. Um, Cali Fissel, fair play. They pulled one back, but it was too little too late. They gave themselves too much to do. Fantastic goal, by the way, if you if you haven't seen it in the highlights. Great ball uh, by Kami Harper into Nikolai Todorov. What a header that was. And uh, Nikolai could have nicked it at the, a point at the end. But it's one win in the last 10 league matches now. I, I probably didn't appreciate the significance of how poor the form has been. Um, maybe because of all the postponements. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't just one game after another. It, it needs to be sorted. Um, they're, only, they're still only five points off Dundee in the playoff zone. But Aloha at the bottom uh, are only six points away. If Aloha win on Saturday, they're only three points in, off Inverness. I spoke to Neil McCann and he said they're only looking up and fair play to them. But Aloha's a bit of a bogey team for them. They've, they've got up their game or they will find themselves in a relegation battle. People may look at this Inverness team and think, oh, they're too good to go down. There have been bigger teams that have got relegated from the Championship to League One. Falkirk's a bigger team than Cali Fissel. They've got a huge support. You, know, you look at their facilities as well. Park Fissel arguably are a bigger team than Cali Thistle. It shouldn't be dismissed that it's a possibility. Um, and with one win in the last 10 league games, it's a worry. And I suppose it's even more of a worry that, you know, you look at Air United who've sunk down the table because of a, a terrible run of form, but you can't expect them to be that bad for the rest of the season. They, you'd have to expect them to bounce back up and, and get a few results and, you know, overtake a few teams. The way this league is, there aren't any teams that you'd say they're nailed on to get relegated or to drop down the table. And, you know, are they in a relegation battle? Are they in a playoff battle? They're probably going to be in both for the rest of the season, the way this league is going. And, you know, it's, it's a cliche that John Robertson said a lot and Neil McCann said it last week as well. Everybody beats everybody in this league. So you could genuinely end up the last couple of weeks of the season and there's six or seven teams who could still get relegated or end up in the playoffs. I would not want to pick this league as at all. And I wouldn't say Aloha Athletic are a dead start to get uh, relegated either. You know, they play good football. And they, a bit like Hamilton Academical in the Premiership, they know how to survive. Um, you know, they'll, they'll finish eighth place um, in the last couple of seasons above teams that you expect them to be below. It, it's a worry. When you've only won one game in, in the last 10 matches, Players, they've got to look at themselves and think, right, this needs to be sorted. I think two years ago, they were in a similar sort of position. Um, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I remember interviewing Carl Tronarco, who was the captain at the time, and he didn't shy away from it. His message was, we need to look below us. And after that game, they went in a run, unbeaten run of like seven, eight, nine games. I think they won most of them. Uh, they ended up only two points off the playoff space, and that was because of a 94th minute equaliser. Uh, Dunfermline scored at the Caledonian Stadium. That ended it. If, if Cali Fissel won that game, they would have been in the playoffs. 
not saying they would have been promoted because there was Livingston who were outstanding that season, as were Dundee United. Um, so I think it was the season Livingston got promoted, wasn't it? They beat yeah. Park. But I don't think there's anything wrong in looking at below rather than above. I know Neil McCann said that he's only looking above and chasing the playoffs. They're closer to the playoffs than the bottom of the table. Only by one point, though. I don't think there's anything wrong with looking below and saying, guys, this is the situation. If things don't improve, it could get worse. It can inspire players. It can inspire teams. There's a lot we could talk about, about this Cali Thistle team, about this Cali Thistle squad, but I'm conscious we've been talking about football for a long time. So we might save some of those discussions for another day because, as I say, the way this championship is, probably going to be the same sort of position over the next couple of weeks so we'll see how that goes and we'll move on for the time being to rugby and there's actually been a couple of different rugby stories this week Jade Conkle probably the the most high profile one taking some time away from rugby Scotland's first ever female professional player stepping away from the sport she's made her name in yeah and I don't think um, we're over exaggerating and saying in describing her as a pioneer of uh, women's sport in Scotland. She was the first women's rugby player to become a professional in Scotland. She's achieved so much in the game. She's played in France, uh, was shortlisted for Player of the Year in the French League, which is a, a really competitive um, at the level. And then she moved to England to play for Harlequins. And uh, they've become one of the top teams in that division, uh, which she's played a huge part of. It's really, well, not sad because we don't know what her future aspirations are going to be. She says she's going to come back. Is that right? Going to come back? Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem to be a retirement. It's just a, a bit of a break while she goes and trains to become a firefighter, which I'm guessing is for life after rugby when she eventually does hang up her boots. Yeah, I know the Rugby World Cup has been postponed a year um, for obvious reasons. Maybe that played a part in her decision. I don't know, just to take time out and it maybe gives her time to maybe come back and hopefully help Scotland qualify for the World Cup because um, they have missed the last few. Um, I think that is probably a burning ambition. It, it, it would be sad to see if, if, if she does miss out on that, um, decides not to be part of it. Hopefully she will be because she's an outstanding player. She's widely recognised as one of the top female players. So let's hope she comes back. But, I, I you know, she, she's got to think about the future as well and what's right for her. Hopefully it works out for her, but hopefully we see her back in a Scotland shirt as well. Yeah, a player for quality deserves to be able to showcase her talents at a World Cup, but for the time being, best of luck to her as she goes and retrains. From a World Cup to a possible Olympic Games now, <laughs> um, another Highland rugby player, Paddy Kelly, who has been playing for the Glasgow Warriors, but switched over to sevens last year. Uh, has been included in a training camp, an early training camp, it must be said, for the GB squad for this summer's Olympic Games. I mean, we were talking, I think, a few weeks back in athletics about athletes from this sort of area being at the Commonwealth Games. It would be phenomenal if we could have somebody at the Olympic Games representing Scotland and the UK and Inverness. It'd be fantastic in a sport that's um, widely watched in this country as well. Um, you know, the Olympics. It's the pinnacle of any athlete's career in most sports. For Paddy, he's got experience of playing for Scotland at all age levels. 
He's uh, had experience in playing in the World Seven circuit as well. So he's obviously got a fantastic chance. Like you said, it's only a training camp, but uh, only a training camp. <laughs> Check me understating it. I apologise. You know, for 21 of the top sevens players in the UK, it, it's a huge achievement. Uh, four years ago, I remember watching it. Uh, I think it was a silver medal they got. They were well beaten by Fiji in the end in the final. But you know how many how many chances does someone get to play uh, to compete at the Olympic Games? Hopefully, it goes ahead. It sounds like it will go ahead. Um, what an opportunity! And uh, good luck to him. Yeah, as you say, best of luck to him. He's going to be going down for the first of those training camp meetups at Loughborough towards the end of this month. So. You know, it'll be a little while before we find out if he's actually made the squad, but he's got quite a, a quick chance to make an impression. Well, it's been a packed show, and it was another packed show last week. And one of the main things we didn't end up talking about was golf. So I want to make sure we give that a mention this time around. Uh, there's uh, an article from Russell Knox in this week's Inverness Courier talking about Near and Dunbar. Yeah, um, just... Um, praising the, the golf course for the, the amount of work they've done and how they're preparing for uh, hosting the amateur championships in June, which is still going ahead, thankfully. Um, I contacted the RNA a couple of weeks ago after the men's home internationals at Royal Dornick were postponed. Um, they were due to take place at Royal Dornick in April. Uh, the Sutherland Club said that because of the logistics and rearranging things. They didn't want to host uh, the competition anymore in September. So there was a bit of a fear because if the same thing happened to the amateur championships at Nairn, it'd be a huge blow to the town um, because it's 288 of the top world amateur players and it would be a massive boost to the economy, not in Nairn, but probably in Inverness as well in terms of accommodation and other things. But um, it'd be a fantastic thing for Nairn. Um, for both golf clubs, not just Nairn Dunbar Golf Club, Nairn Golf Club as well. But yeah, Russell Knox took the time out just to congratulate Nairn Dunbar on the work they've done because he was a former youth player himself at the club, represented the club, and look what he's gone on to do. So a bit of an inspiration, and it's great to see that he's just taking time out to remember his roots and uh, pay tribute to those that have put in so much work into improving the golf course. Yeah, it's a nice touch, definitely. Uh, I'll just do my usual whip around of some of the other titles and stories that we haven't had the chance to go into too much depth on. Uh, up north at the John O'Groat Journal, of course, as always, great content from up there. As you might expect, there's been quite a lot of Highland League reaction. Uh, Wick Academy boss Gary Manson has talked about the fate of the Highland League based on this week's announcements, saying that he thinks a return is unlikely. Uh, and then at the Northern Scott, again, plenty of Highland League reaction. Keith Boss, Andy Roddy, has been asking actually for help to cover the testing costs, whether that's from sponsors or from the government. And also great news for Elgin City that they are going to get back into action. Gavin Price there has been talking about potentially getting a few loan deals to bolster his squad before the end of the season. And there's also a, a really good feature. I just want to mention this Craig Christie has done with Rory McEwen about what he's been up to while football hasn't been on the go. He's been spending a lot of time in the Cairngorms. <laughs> no, some great stories. Like you said, the one at the John O'Groat Journal, um, it just uh, highlights the worry um, from 
every club in every part of the region about what the future is going to be. And unfortunately, it is a pessimistic future. Um, but we'll see in the coming weeks of how it plays. You know, I'd like to see a decision made sooner rather than later. We can't afford to drag on now because if, if the Highland League is allowed to restart, um, they're going to need two or three weeks training before they can actually play any games. So come on, SFA, pull your finger out. They were supposed to announce the review on Monday and we waited and waited and waited until half past four and then they released a statement saying the decision is we have no decision. Sorry, that's not good enough. Uh, a lot of people were angry about the lack of clarity, rightly so, which probably resulted in the announcement 24 hours later. But when you set a date, people are relying on hearing what you have to say. Must do better. Front over. It's definitely something we're going to be keeping tabs on over the next few weeks. So check back in all of the newspapers, go buy a paper, and of course, listen to Balls and Whistles for the latest updates on the Highland League. For the time being, I think all that's left is for us to wrap up. So let us know what you think of the podcast on Twitter at balls underscore whistles, by email at balls and whistles at hnmedia.co.uk. You can also send in questions or topics that you want us to discuss and do a bit of debate over like we did today with BAR and the Highland League and the SFA. Will, I've already said buy a paper. Is there anything else you want to point people towards for the time being? I just want to offer my congratulations to Sean Rooney and Jamie McCart for winning the League Cup with St. Johnston, both former Cali Fissile players. And part of an alumni now that's actually played at Inverness came to the club with some uh, with a point to prove and have gone on to play in the Premiership. You know, Cole Donaldson, uh, Ross County, George White, Ross County via Mullerwell, Charlie Trapper, Academican. Yeah. George Oakley. Ian Vikers, George Oakley via Bulgaria, Hamilton to Kilmarnock. I think Cali Fissel deserve a lot of credit and it just shows the quality of players John Robertson has brought in. There's always been a good team there with good players. And I just think it's worth highlighting the great job John Robertson's done. And also, hope he's doing well. Hope to see him back soon. Yeah, on that slightly more positive note, we actually will say goodbye now. As always, I've been Andrew Henderson. We'll be back next week with another episode. For the time being, thanks for listening. Bye.